Hello and welcome to the Boss Podcast episode 92. I am Kirk Bailey here to bring you another great talk from the Boss Archives. This week we look at the case of mindfulness at work with Matthew Bellows. The Business of Software podcast, sharing sessions from our conferences and discussions with software people that will make you think. Find out more at businessofsoftware.org. Matthew Bellows founded Yesware in 2010 and then in 2019 co-founded Bodeswell, two great SaaS businesses aimed at making financial planning easier and help salespeople make money. In this direct and personal talk, Matthew looks at the old Zen saying, you should meditate for 20 minutes a day, unless you're too busy. Then you should meditate for an hour. He also looks at how you can link mindfulness and work in a way that makes clear why training in this skill is so helpful for managers in the 21st century. Happy listening. Thank you very much for having me. Um, It's an honor to be here and and speak to so many. I I was saying to Mark, I was at an investor conference earlier uh, today and um, thus the suit and uh, I got here around uh, just before lunch and I felt like I was among friends already. So it's really good to be back. I wanted to start this brief talk and then discussion um, with a little story. I've been a salesperson for startups my whole career, uh, bag carrying, quota carrying guy, sales manager guy, at all the companies I've worked for and the first, and the two I've started, I'm basically the sales and marketing person. So my first company I started in 2001, it was a bootstrapped company. Uh, We built up and sold it to a company called CNET. Um, It was predicated on the idea that people would play video games on their cell phones, which in 2001 was (laughs) a little bit of a crazy idea. Um, We sold that. uh, We we got to about $3 million a year and sold that. Um, For the last five years, I've been uh, CEO of a company called Yesware, which makes software for salespeople. And we have have about 700,000 users. We have customers like Box and Twitter and AdRoll and Groupon and Forrester and many others. Um, maybe some people here use Yesware? Anybody? Yes? All right. Please come see me if you have questions or product suggestions. Um, and about two months ago, my vice president of sales resigned. She had uh, family issues. She had to move back to San Francisco. And so I had to, while we kicked off a VP of sales search, become the interim VP of sales again. And this story happened when I was running the sales team. I had two reps focused on the SMB category, uh, Kyle and Blair, and they each had about 500 accounts signed to them. Uh, They were both crushing their number. We both had tons of leads, they had tons of leads coming into the SMB category, and they had 500 accounts under their name. And I was just like, guys, what's going on? This is an obvious problem. You can't handle 500 accounts a piece. And I sort of put on my sales VP hat and I started thinking, and you can see the like, nice, smart, hardworking millennial, millennial guys. And, and I was like, do I promote someone? Do I bring someone down from the mid-market territory? Do I quickly hire some more people? What do I do? And I came up with a solution and I told the manager, here's what we're gonna do. And I thought basically, all right, that's that, back to work. Now, all of you who are managers know, like, what are you, an idiot? You're not done. And sure enough, Kyle and Blair's manager came back to me about 45 minutes later, and he said, Matthew, um, 
So Kyle and Blair don't think it's a good idea for you to bring someone into their territory. They don't want to you know, share the leads with somebody else. And they'd like to have a meeting with you to explain why that is. Now, in addition to being a CEO of a startup, uh, I'm also a Buddhist. And I've spent many thousands of hours um, meditating and contemplating compassion and generating kindness and um, extending goodness out to people in the world. And I try in the, in the, in the company you know, to live these values and we have an open, transparent culture that, that, that sort of like uh, you know, celebrates diverse opinions and all these different things. Um, but I, I, I'm also under a fair amount of pressure. Uh, I, I'm not super patient. And here's the revenue chart that my investors are expecting for me. Triple, triple, double is the mantra at my board meetings. Triple one year, triple the next year, double the next year. So my first reaction, honestly, when the manager comes to me is basically be like, F off. <laughs> like, go back to work. Tell them, no, I'm not going to have a meeting with them to explain something that's totally obvious. And then I paused. And that pause is what this talk is all about. So in, in my parlance, in the Buddhist lingo, the, the, the space between the first instinctual response and a second more reflective, uh, more contemplative response is called the gap. And those of you who remember analog movies will recognize this. There's two parts to an analog film strip. There's the image, which is in the middle, and then there's the frame around the image. And there's something called the phi phenomenon, which is that basically, if you move the images through a light at the appropriate speed, about 60 frames per second, uh, our brains don't see the individual images. And they associate the movement between the frames as motion. And so at the right speed, we miss the frame between the images, and we just see the images moving. Our brains are basically tricked. Maybe you see the analogy already. The first part of the film is the content, the image, the way the sales manager looked, what he said to me, the room around him. The second part is the gap, the space between the frames. The biggest achievements in our life, the lowest of the lows, the last argument you had with your boss, the biggest career things you've ever done in your life, the time you sold your startup for X million dollars, each of these things that feels so solid and so real and so monumental, they're actually made up of frames and gaps. In between each of these little moments that we're experiencing now, there's a gap. So life becomes a string of moments strung together with gaps, spaces with nothing going on between them. But the situation is that at the speed at which we're moving, we're under so much pressure, there's so much going on, we have so many varieties of inputs, the phi phenomenon kicks in just like with a movie and we completely miss it. So I'm gonna argue in this talk that recognizing the gap and learning to appreciate it, actually, is a crucial management skill. 
it opens up the world to different approaches than one's habitual patterns and gives us the opportunity to reach creative solutions um, that will be good for your business. In his award-winning book, Thinking Fast and Slow, Daniel Kahneman, Nobel Laureate, talks about two systems of thinking. System one is fast, instinctual, habitual, uh, and system two is slower, more considered, more open to data, more open to different ideas. And generally, system one is sort of looked at as fight or flight. Someone comes at me, what do I do? Punch, run, what do I do? Luckily, as humans, we have another system, system two. So we have a choice beyond fight or flight. We can pause. We can wait. We can do nothing. And in this case, it's good because it was my son jumping around a corner at me. And if I had punched him, obviously, I'm disappointing. And if I had run away, <laughs> if I had run away, he would be laughing at me for the rest of my life. So, According to Common, when we engage our system two thinking, we can bring other things into uh, consideration. And we can contemplate the best solution for a problem. You are all familiar with these problems. Sales managers, of course, know uh, your number. What's your number for the rest of the month or quarter? What's your target for the year? These are all system one questions, questions that you've internalized so you know off the top of your head. System two, on the other hand, are questions that you want to spend more time analyzing. Is our message resonating with the market? Are, do we have enough sales activity, et cetera? And the gap that Buddhists talk about is the space between system one thinking and system two thinking. In the world that we live in, with so much pressure, even though we aren't really in a life or death situation, it sometimes feels that way. And one big problem with missing the gap between these two things and just blowing right through it is that we apply system one thinking to system two problems. You with me so far? So like the situation I faced with my SMB team, if I apply my system one approach, uh, unpredictable, crazy, uh, unimaginable emotional responses happen and things quickly spin out of control in ways that I never could have predicted. And believe me, I know this from experience. It's very much like the First World War. Some terrorist kills an archduke in Sarajevo and then Austria-Hungary attacks and then Russia moves in to back them up and Germany's like, oh, this is a good opportunity. I'm gonna invade France and Belgium and Luxembourg. And pretty soon, you have 60 million soldiers mobilized and 16 million people killed. In my personal example, in the story, um, I tell the SMB manager, F off. The manager tells the guys, no, he's not taking the meeting, get back to work. The guys are like, either they react, or more likely, they build up resentment. They say, what a jerk. I don't want to work for that a-hole anymore. And suddenly, my SMB team, which was killing their numbers, suddenly starts to miss their number again or they go off and work for somebody else, or they start sowing seeds of discord, and the rest of the team is thinking, uh, is he gonna yell at me next? And then we miss the number for the quarter, and then my board is like, he's missed two quarters in a row. Is he really the guy to build a billion dollar business for us? In an even broader context, um, 
We all want to be good managers. We want to be kind. We try to be understanding. But when the pressure is on, sometimes we make mistakes and we react badly. When we do that, uh, and even when the system, the, the sort of situation is resolved, it doesn't resolve, right? Emotional baggage clings like barnacles on a ship and slows everybody down. People, uh, people's motivation decreases. Their drive for success declines and therefore the company starts to lose momentum. You know this, obviously, intuitively. You've experienced this both with managers that you've reported to and managers sometimes that report to you. Um, but two researchers about 10 years ago, uh, Tony Simons and Judy Parks, actually did an experiment to figure out if this was true. They interviewed 6,500 hotel workers at about 650 chains across the US and Canada. And they basically asked those uh, people to rank on a, scale, on a five point scale how closely their manager's uh, actions matched their words. In other words, I think I'm a nice manager. I try to be a nice manager. I am a good person. Do I act like a good person? When the pressure's on, do I do what I say I'm going to do? And they took all the survey results and they cross-referenced they cross them with financial data from the hotels, with customer survey feedback, um, with employee retention data, et cetera. And they found an amazing thing. One-eighth of a point of difference on that five-point scale would account for 2.5% additional profit. 2.5% of revenue, additional profit if you move one-eighth of a point on that five-point scale. In other words, it was the single biggest factor in the hotel success was the amount of uh, the, the, the correlation between managers talk and managers walk as according to the employees. I, I have to do a brief aside here because in the preparation of this talk, I read a book called The Halo Effect. Anybody read that? Uh, it basically posits that all these kind of studies are totally bullshit. Uh, ba ba basically, it says like um, successful companies, people looking back on successful companies will correlate the success to anything that you ask them about, and failing companies will correlate it to anything that you ask them about. And so basically, it's saying like you can't believe any of these studies. But nonetheless, it's sort of all we have to go on at the moment. And I think we know it intuitively, right? Maybe this number is wrong. But we know it intuitively, managers who walk the talk are better. Directionally, it's right. On a personal note, though, um, this sort of mismatch between wanting to be a good manager and um, behaving as a good manager when stressful situations come up, uh, the tension there and the sort of our accumulated mistakes there create a dissonance in our life. We think of ourselves as uh, good managers, good people, and yet we know in the past there are some examples of times when we haven't behaved that way. And so um, we uh, avoid those situations. It's painful. We're successful, and yet I totally messed that up. I'm going to avoid that person. It's too painful to go there. And if we m arrange our life to avoid the people with whom we've had disagreements and with whom we have unfinished baggage, we reduce and reduce and reduce the scope in which we can work. And at work, you know, it's a contained environment, but then we leave work 
And sometimes these, these feelings boil over into our family life, and we, by mistake, cause injury to people that we love. So to avoid these costs and to get better at seeing the gap, we need a plan. Life is a string of moments. Between those moments, there's a gap. We miss those gaps. We react with fight or flight. We apply system one behavior to system two situations. And when faced with the conflict, we've got to get beyond system one. We've got to slow down the movie in some way. We've got to find the gap. So the first way to do that is you create more time. You crazy person, I say, yeah, exactly, how? You can't create more time, but I can. And so can you. For those of you who have ever had a life-threatening experience, you know that time slows down. Everything gets very clear, and suddenly 10 seconds becomes 10 years. For those of you who ever spaced out on your way to work, you know that suddenly you get in your car and suddenly you wake up and you're at work and you've totally missed that entire time. What took a half hour to actually drive was compressed into 10 seconds because you were not paying attention. It's not a good idea. Um, so you've had these experiences before, but the best way to show it to you and remind you of this feeling is just to do a quick little exercise. So I'm gonna ask everyone to please uh, turn off your cell phones or just close your laptops for a minute. And just uh, be silent for 30 seconds. Ready? Wasn't that just the longest 30 seconds of your entire life? But it, you know, it was no longer than the previous 30 seconds. The point is that time is relative to your experience. If you pay attention to it, it can be much longer. So you can change your experience of time by practicing and removing obstacles. And well, the way I did it was I lived in the mountains for you know, a year and meditated for six or 12 hours a day. Luckily, you don't have to do that. Here's my favorite app for this. There's lots of apps for mindfulness now. Uh, my favorite one is called Headspace. Um, and basically, it's a free trial app you download for your cell phone, and it gives you a five or 10 minute daily guided meditation. You plug in the app, you put in your headphones, and it, basically, this uh, British guy uh, who trained in Tibet as a monk, walks you through an uh, introduction to mindfulness. It's really good. I, in fact, it's so good, I wish I had had it when I was living in the mountains, but I probably could have saved myself a year of time or something. <laughs> it's actually so good that we, Yesware pays for our employees to use mindfulness after the 30, after, to use Headspace after the 30-day after the trial. So I would recommend, if you're curious about uh, this, to, to give that a try.
Now, hopefully you know about the gap, and you know about the importance of minding the gap, and you know you can train yourself to see the gap more often. Do you do this all the time? Are you like constantly on the lookout for the gap? Is it like a paranoid thing? Luckily, it's not. But to show you when to look for the gap, I have to tell you about the three poisons. The three poisons are another Buddhist concept. Um, it's basically the three root neuroses, the three things that really mess up our life. Uh, passion, which is represented as the bird. Uh, aggression, which is the snake. And ignorance, which is the pig. Um, in our life, these refer to, as I said, three base neurotic behaviors. So passion is like the desire to cling to something. Either the smooth-talking salesman who just always brings people to him, and people love being around him, and he's so interesting. Or my uh, experience of this is like seeing a beautiful woman walk down the street, and I, and I, it, the first thought is, of course, Wow, beautiful woman, how great. My second thought is like, oh, do, 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 do. and I'm a happily married guy. I've been married for 15, 17 years. <laughs> but I still do, 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 I'm totally seduced by this thing. This is my neurotic passion aspect. Um, aggression is like counterattack. Anything that's remotely threatening is instantly seized upon as grounds for aggression. Preemptive strike. Some of you might have encountered people like that especially investors. Uh, and ignorance is like, oh, whatevs, it's all good, don't worry. This is my personal style. Oh, it's all, don't worry about it, it's fine. I gotta work on my talk again? Oh, I'd rather play, you know, uh, I'd rather play Hearthstone, it's fine. So the point is, when you notice the three passions, when you notice the core ignorance, when you notice aggression coming up, that's when you look for the gap. Usually these are not in display. Usually we go about our life and we don't even notice it. But when it comes up such that you say, oh, there's the snake. Oh, that's the pig. That's ignorance. That's somebody basically blocking out. That's when you look for the gap, OK? So that's the plan. Develop mindfulness. Mind the gap. Practice five or 10 minutes a day so that when conflicts arise, you can switch from your habitual system one slash, whether it's passion, aggression, or ignorance, to a more reflective approach. And then you'll have a new creative and open situation, which you can't really predict. If you practice this way, you will not be alone. You've probably heard that uh, Intel has a mindfulness training program for 100,000 of its employees. Google has a mindfulness training program, so does Goldman Sachs, so does Green Mountain Coffee. The factory workers at Green Mountain Coffee report a dramatically decreased incident of factory accidents once they've gone to the mindfulness training program. Aetna has reported uh, much lower healthcare costs for workers who have gone to the mindfulness training program. There are lots of quantitative reasons why you might want to investigate this, but I was trying to describe to you the qualitative reason the situation, the personal situation. How do we do this at Yesware? Here's a concrete example. Uh, this is the guy on the right there is called Jim Rosen. Jim is a successful software executive here in Boston, longtime meditator. 
He's trained himself as an exec, or he's been trained as an executive coach. And uh, very early on in our history, I asked Jim to come in and build a mindfulness program for us. This mindfulness program includes um, executive coaching for everyone at the company. Uh, it includes a, a variety of different body-centered mindfulness practices like uh, Tai Chi and yoga, kickboxing, Pilates, as well as sitting meditation classes in our office. Um, and then he meets with people individually to talk about their practice. And I asked him, and he said, if any of you want to send him an email and say, how could a mindfulness program work for me, uh, he said he'd be happy to write back to you. So if you want to learn more about how to roll it out, send it to Jim. I actually get no money from this. It's not a paid endorsement of any kind. I just know that he does really good work. And to bring it out to your company might be helpful. So just to wrap up my story of my SMB team. Luckily, in this time, because of my training, uh, and I don't always do it, I did mind the gap. I didn't lash back at the manager. Instead, I thought about these guys. And I thought about their situation. Millennials, just out of college. First time they've ever had a job. It's kind of natural that they would be defensive of their job. They want to keep what's going. Change is hard. Change is uncertain. Uh, and then I thought about the business. And I thought, wait, if we have more leads coming in than we can deal with, and these guys are letting leads lie fallow, we're not serving customer demand. We're not growing as fast as we can. We're going to get a bad reputation for not following up quickly on a sales lead. And what good is sales software if you can't follow up <laughs> on a sales lead? And so I went to them and I said, you know, actually, what, the first thing I did was I said, OK, I'll take the meeting. And we got in the room and they told me why they were here and why they, how wrong they thought I was. And I described to them my perspective. I understand where you're coming from. And Here's the reality of the business. And I said, what should we do? What should we do? And you know, I don't remember who it was that came up with it, but um, one of the guys said, well, actually, I'm going to be on vacation for a week next month. And I know Ian in another territory is getting married. So why don't we bring him in temporarily and make sure we have coverage. And that'll get us used to sharing leads amongst three people. And that way, we can get a pipeline going and get the operational systems going so that we can hire more and more people into the territory. Duh. I was like, yeah, of course. That's obvious. Why didn't I think of that? But the point is, I didn't think of that. And the point is, by them thinking about it, they owned it. It was their idea, not my idea. And so they could execute it without feeling like it was being pushed down from me. So I think. It's worth contemplating how a mindfulness program should work at your company, blah, blah, blah. I think it's worthwhile doing. But more importantly than that, what I would ask each and every one of you to do is the next time somebody comes at you with some bit of aggression, or some snipe, or some mean, underhanded comment, or when you see somebody like trying to pull you in, suck you into their world, and you're not sure you want to go there, look for the gap. Don't react immediately. Just wait for a minute. Your world will open up. The linear reel of your film will change, and you'll have a lot more options to discover creative approaches to the problems that you're facing. Thank you. Thank you very much, Matthew. I don't often call the talk beautiful, but that was. <laughs> I really appreciate the 30 seconds as well. It, it, I could have gone on forever, actually. I really enjoyed it. <laughs> Maybe that's jet lag setting in.
Who's got some questions, some comments? Who uses mindfulness? Five people. Um, it's quite big business. The company that you mentioned um, here, uh, Get Headspace or, or Headspace, just announced $30 million funding round. Yeah, today. I saw that. Yeah. Um, but they are, I mean, they've been, they've been very successful in finding people that want to kind of tap into this. Um, yeah, I mean, the, 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 the patchouli scent of the meditator in the mountains has thoroughly wafted off this activity. Uh, it is very much a uh, thing that is, that's helpful for people of all types. The data backs it up. Here's a question. Here's two questions. Okay. Uh, yeah, we'll take uh, Patrick there. At the Patrick, you've got a microphone, and then... We got any questions? Okay. You are you are Buddhist, but is mindfulness inherently Buddhist, or can someone be Christian and practice mindfulness as well? What a wonderful question! No, uh, no. It was kind of a softball to tell you. <laughs> <laughs> what a wonderful softball! Yes, mindfulness is totally Buddhist. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> no, no, uh, no. No one owns the patent on mindfulness. Mindfulness is a is a human thing. It might even be a uh, sentient thing. Um, it just happened to be the way that I could connect to it, but, but there are plenty of other examples of Christian uh, mystics, contemplative mystics, and Muslim contemplative traditions, and Jewish contemplative traditions across the board. It's very much a human thing. Thank you. Here? Yeah, hi. Um, you mentioned taking a moment in those situations where you're encountered with some of those evils or, or whatever you would call them. Poison. Um, right. I guess my question is, there are situations where folks, you know, maybe don't have that patience <laughs> for you and you don't necessarily have the space to, um, or feel like you have the space. Does that come down to boundaries or how do you kind of mitigate that when you're feeling like pressured into that situation? Well, that's the, that's the whole talk. I mean, I think that's a very good question. Um, uh, the first thing is, it's probably very hard to do right off the bat. Like you have to hear about it, think about it, um, practice, you know, and then um, and then exercise. And you don't always get it right. Um, you know, the genesis of this talk for me was not a time when I actually minded the gap. The genesis of the talk was the time I didn't mind the gap, and I was like blew up at a team, and they were all like, so um, uh, it's a path aspect. You try and you fail and you try again and you succeed and you get the benefit and you try again and you fail. So, right. yes. Um, so um, this is great for for the person who is practicing mindfulness. But what about the other side? So if the person that you're engaging with ah. is, say, passive aggressive yeah. and keeps doing things to the letter but not the intent of the yeah. request, yeah. how do you deal with that situation? Thank you for that. It's a very good question because. Being uh, mindful or minding the gap does not determine how you are going to act in responding to the situation. So it doesn't mean that you always result in being nice and kind and wonderful and understanding and, and all that. Um, it opens up the realm of possibility to respond in the best way or what you think is the right way. So. In that situation, the first thing to do is uh, you give them space. They're playing out their trip. 
there's no reaction particularly. You're just sort of letting them play out their trip. And sometimes that's enough for some people to be like, I'm just totally, no, 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 no. You know, and they can bring themselves out of it. And then, and then a manager, right? You see it happening again and again, and then you talk to them about it. You know, I'm seeing you do this behavior, and when you do this behavior, it makes me feel like, do you see that? Am I missing something here? You know what I mean? And you kind of unpack it. But without the space, you can't get in there. Without the space, it just becomes a ping pong match back and forth. So someone's got to be brave enough to step back and not immediately react, which pushes the other person to react again. The bravery aspect of this is that basically, first with your own mind, and then with other people in relationship to them, no matter where they're at, uh, you can have a chance to basically give them the opportunity to be themselves, and you can react to it in an open way. And that sometimes just flips the whole thing. And sometimes it doesn't. And sometimes you realize, this person's not going to work out. And then you fire them. <laughs> Uh, there was another question. I think. Oh, right next. No, ye, sorry, just behind there. Yep. Any other questions? Han? Matthew, thank, thank you for your um, talk. Where are you? Uh, She's over there on the oh, yeah. <laughs> no, right next to me. Can I just say that um, for me, uh, mindfulness, you can call it emotion intelligence or managing one's emotions, has been really fundamental in terms of leadership. But can I just say that, you know, sometimes when people refer to finding the gap or minding the gap, that it's actually very challenging at times to do that. Yes. And that um, sometimes I think it's useful to understand just the bio, the bio feedback that you get or other ways of recognising that you've missed the gap, that you're, you're into, <laughs> that you're, you're, you're getting emotional or you're reacting to a situation. Do you want, do you have any other tips for how you maintain the gap or find the gap? What do you, what do you mean by biofeedback? Well, just noticing when your heart is ra racing ah. or if you're, suddenly your speech is yeah. speeding up, yeah. that sort of thing. Yeah, I, 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 so I think everybody has different, um, different reactions to the speed at which we move and everybody has different signals. I mean, I tried to point out three very low-level, basic signals, passion, aggression, and ignorance. So when you see manifestations of that in your life, that's the sign to look for the gap. Um, but that how those manifest for you might be different than how they manifest for you. And so a little bit like, um, like this gentleman's question over here, how do you do it? Uh, it's a practice. It's an ongoing sense of, oh, this is my life. I'm getting to know myself. I'm getting to know when I feel comfortable in a situation and when I need to be more mindful going in. Um, and I, th I feel like it's very much, I'm 47 years old, so you know, uh, I've had a lot of opportunity to make mistakes and, and sort of get the feedback. Um, and I think it's, uh, it's very much an individual path in that way. What, what we've been talking about here can also be recapped in a different way by uh, going by the mantra of respond, don't react. There's a quote that I've heard um, in various contexts kind of, again, oh. seeing the difference between an, an initial instinctive reaction, the kind of fight or flight type of response versus a, a pondered or considered response. I think so, yeah. That okay. sounds good. Respond meaning like you've listened to yeah. what's happened and you're responding to that as opposed to just reacting off the cuff. Yeah. Yeah, I could see that, sure. Okay. Thank you. 
Can I ask a question about if you're in a company I mean, there's a, and there's a sort of a Zen saying you should meditate for 20 minutes a day unless you're too busy, in which case you should meditate for an hour. Right. Um, now, you'll see of this big organisation and there's some fires going off and there's some sales to be done and there's this, that and the other and it's just getting too much. So you go off into a room and spend two hours. How does the rest of the company... I do. <laughs> Maybe you do. I don't I mean, it, I don't. I'm, I'm, I'm painting a picture, but I mean... Yeah. Given this kind of need for headspace from people that are practising being mindful, does yeah. that create yeah. tensions, issues with, oh, well, he's, he's off to do his... Um, get his space. And I, actually, we're fighting the, yeah, the right, enemies. Exactly. And the, he's going off to the mountains again to do his thing, and we're left actually doing the yeah. work. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Uh, Although they maybe. said. <laughs> <laughs> they haven't told me that, but, <laughs> but I, I think actually, um, I think actually, at least in my situation, I, I kind of wish it was different, but honestly, I don't, uh, I don't have time to meditate for an hour or two a day anymore. Mm. Uh, I, I, I have three kids, I'm, I'm happily married, I have a software company to run, um, I like to coach lacrosse in the spring, I have like, a, you know... A, Sorry, kids? Family, software company, that was enough. Anything else? Yeah, <laughs> and so, so, so um, you know, I, I asked my, and, and this problem I think is faced by workers in all industries, not just uh, software companies. And I, I remember I was a waiter when I was in college and after college, um, and I was talking to my meditation teacher about this exact issue. I don't have time. Like, how do I do this? I'm waiting tables, and when the rush hits, man, you're on it. You are back and forth and running and da da da, -da all the espresso and double cappuccino and the bill and cocktails. And, and, and I was like, how do you do it? And he said, you don't have to go slowly. Just pay attention to the speed. Feel your body as it moves through the space. Just be aware of how quickly you're moving. And I was like, oh, that's, see, that's interesting. Like, so you can actually be mindful as the busy CEO of a software company. Because it's not about separating yourself from a different, into a different world. It's actually about being here right now, in wherever you are. And that suddenly means, oh, well, that means I can practice all the time. Yeah. Okay, thank you. Some other? Hey, Matthew. So I was curious about the mountain retreat. Uh, where did you go? Did you pick a style of Kriya or anything in particular? And then um, I guess my other, my other question would be, e even though you're very busy today, is it still an everyday process? Yeah, so um, I went to study Shambhala Buddhism, which is a Tibetan American style of Buddhism. Uh, so that retreat was in um, Colorado, Red Feather Lakes, Colorado, which is about uh, two hours west of Fort Collins, which is about two hours north of Denver. Um, uh, and yeah, so I still practice uh, just about every day. Short sessions, five, ten minutes, sometimes an hour on the weekends, sometimes retreats when I can go and be away for a weekend or something like that. Sometimes I forget. And then I do it again the next day. 
I guess sort of less of a question and more part of the discussion, if that's cool. Um, so there's a Buddhist monk and peace activist, Thich Nhat Hanh, who wrote a book called The Art of Power, which talks about business and, and mindfulness. And um, one thing that he says, so when somebody was asking about quick tips, you know, when we're so busy, is that actually the connection between mind and body is breathing. So when, you know, if you don't have a practice, you don't have time to practice or whatever, you can just breathe. What? That's crazy. But it's true. Yeah. 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 So breathing is is literally that connective tissue, and it takes very little time to to go through one cycle of breathing. That's all I got. So wonderful. Mic drop. Wonderful points. <laughs> Uh, that word, uh, the word passion is one that we usually use in a positive context, yes. especially, especially at a software entrepreneur yes. conference. We're killing uh, it, dude! I, I'm very passionate about that. <laughs> uh, how, how would you relate the meanings, uh, you know, that positive meaning of devotion to something you love with that and the, the poison side that you're talking about? Basically, there's two, two aspects to passion. There's the wisdom aspect and the neurotic aspect, just like there is of aggression and, and ignorance. And um, the wisdom aspect is love, just open-hearted uh, love. And um, that's a wonderful thing. And then the neurotic thing happens when we try to glom onto that, we try to attach to that, we try to perpetuate that, we try to keep that feeling going. We run up stories to keep ourselves in that state of mind because it's so wonderful. If you've ever had a relationship with someone where you knew it was over six months before you could break up, you know what I'm talking about. So the love that I feel for my work um, is absolutely fine. The, um, when I start to associate my ego and my self-worth with my job, and I start to doubt and get afraid of losing my job, you know, that's the, that's the neurotic aspect of it. They're very close, actually. Have you tried taking mindfulness into your family? In other words, does your wife practice this? Maybe your kids? And if so, what, how has that helped? Um, so my, my wife is a Quaker. Uh, so she, her, her tradition has its own kind of mindfulness. Back to the question about um, they have a contemplative practice of their own. Um, my kids are curious about it and sometimes they come up to the meditation room with me and sit for you know five minutes or something and then they they can't do it. they're like ah, i'm out of here <laughs> this is stupid uh i'm like just be here now and it's like where else would i be of course i'm here <laughs> this is all i got right and i'm like uh you don't uh but my son did actually come out of one of those sessions with a funny saying he said dad if you can't laugh at yourself you're gonna miss a lot of jokes <laughs> 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 so I <laughs> Hi Matthew. Over here. Hi. How you doing? So what really changed on your company after the mindfulness and before it? Like what what can you see the difference from the people that work with you that yeah. you can change, oh this is because of the training? Yeah, this is a difficult question. Honestly, uh it, it it, it's very tempting to try to quantify it, and this, there are plenty of studies out there that, that do this with surveys and you know, all these things. It's, it's, they're as susceptible to the halo effect as the study that I mentioned or any of these business studies. People attribute their personal success to the things you ask them about. 
Uh, and if the company's failing, they say it's because the CEO is always off on these mindfulness programs. You know? And if the company's a great success, it's because the CEO was talking about mindfulness all the time. It really helped us succeed. It's hard to, it's hard to disentangle those two things. The reason why I think it's important is much more about the personal experience that I tried to describe, i.e., I could see a very concrete situation which arose in my world, which I know is analogous to lots of other people's worlds. Living in a stressful situation, somebody get, throws something at you, you need to deal with it on the spot or not, my habitual response would have completely messed it up, da 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 so I don't have a before and after snapshot. And anyway, in business, it's hard to have like little Petri dishes where you run A-B tests. Um, but I do think it's important because of the experience that I've had as a business person. So this was my attempt to try to share that. But there are studies out there which you could read. And they all say the right thing. <laughs> <laughs> so I welcome you to read them. But Middle left at the back. So I, I live in Boulder, Colorado, and somehow I knew when they asked where did you do your retreat, it was going to be not far from uh, yeah from I went from to Boulder. Naropa. I went to Naropa University. To Naropa University. Yeah. So um, <laughs> yeah, uh, there's there's a lot of the the, the thinking is in, in the area. Um, one th I was going to address the the um, passive aggressive question. Yeah. Um, done some training and some uh, workshops and things with with horses around mindfulness, huh. and the idea of you can't make someone do something. You can't make them think a certain way. And, and uh, working with horses was uh, very similar because you, you, you cannot physically make a horse do something that it does not want to do. And it's all about creating space and, and um, creating a, a sort of shared goal with that horse and, and huh. you know, sort of reacting and acting in that way. Because, uh, and there, I think there is a, some sort of parallel to people who are not sharing the same stated goals as you, that you might be explicitly saying they're going to do. And uh, anyway, I'll just offer that as a, there was, there was some, I, moving into Boulder, I thought, wow, this sounds a little hippy-dippy, but uh, there was something really powerful there about, about, uh, about getting someone on your team that, that doesn't want to be. I, yeah, I think everyone in this room can identify with that. I mean, that's a, that's a great point. Look, I, oh, sorry, one more, maybe one more, and then. Okay. Yeah, look, let's take two more, then, and we two can. More. Mine might be easy, multitasking. I just want to hear your thoughts. Uh, you can't do it. <laughs> um, it it's, it's, it's tempting to think you can do it, but actually your, 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 your mind is single-threaded. Uh, it's just very fast. But what, what happens when you try to pour uh, you know, lots of different objects into a single-threaded uh, CPU is that it, it gets fragmented and there's switching costs. So all the, uh, and there are actually real scientific studies on this one, because it's easy to sort of test um, what happens when people get lots of inputs poured at them and how they react to switching between tasks. Um, so uh, what, what I try to do and what we try to do at Yesware is basically um, break everything up into discrete chunks and make sure that people have time to do their work and that when they're at meetings, they're at meetings. So we, we ask everyone to close their laptops. We ask people to turn off their phones. If you're going to be in the meeting, focus on the meeting. If you're, if you're not having fun or getting interested in the meeting or if it's not helping you, you leave the meeting. All meetings are optional. Um, we ask managers to book meetings only in blocks of time. And we ask individual contributors to block out big chunks of their day to actually do their work. So on their calendar, there's a big doing my work 
appointment. Um, because when it comes to it, you actually, task switching is, is, it costs much more than you actually achieve. Hi, um, my question is about the practice and lifestyle. Because how much the lifestyle affects the mindfulness? Because practice, you do five minutes, 10 minutes a day. Yeah. But what about food, sleep, exercise? Does it, I thought they are a bigger factor than practicing because you know, if you are healthy yeah. and fresh, then maybe you are more of a yeah. controlling situation than the practicing 10 minutes a day. Oh, I see. Well, I think they all help. Uh, sleeping well helps, exercise helps, um, you know, spending, taking care of your responsibilities like as a parent or whatever helps. And, and I think it's really up to the individual to figure out what the right balance is of all these different things. And I think it's different at different stages of life. So right now, I don't have a lot of time to do practice. I do practice, I do meditation practice as a way of touching in and reminding myself and just giving myself a little time. Like, I feel like it's my time with myself, my time alone, you know? And, um, and just for five or 10 minutes a day just reminds me, but uh, there might be other times when I can do it for, for longer. Just like it might be times when you can exercise for four hours a day instead of one, um, or do whatever you want to do for four hours a day instead of one. So um, it's, I think it's really kind of up to you to figure out what the right mix is for you. Yeah. You're paying for your staff to have mindfulness, the, the, the access to the Get Headspace. Any information about how much they use it? Um, so we, we do a number of things like that. We, we, um, we allow everyone to have an executive coach. Uh, we um, pay for gym memberships for people. We, you know, we let people use the app. We provide classes and things like that. And I explicitly don't track those things. Um, one, because I want it to be anonymous and I want people to feel like they're not sort of having to go to check the box. Um, and two, because uh, um, I've just got bigger things to worry about, frankly. Uh, but I would say on overall, across all the different sort of mindfulness benefits and classes that we do, I would say approximately between 30 and 40% of employees <coughs> take advantage of it. The majority doesn't. I'm not here to like legislate mindfulness. Uh, I'm here instead to run a company. But I think this is helpful in running a company, and if you want to use it, you can. Thanks for listening to the Business of Software podcast. For more information, go to businessofsoftware.org.